Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Title of the message is The Five Different Houses. The word house or houses shows up in the Bible 1,825 times. I did a little word search on that. I was amazed how much time, how many times the word actually shows up. Uh, but there are five houses, and the purpose of the message is so that we can get an understanding of these five houses. And then with that understanding, that will help us to better be able to stay in our lane. We'll be able to identify what these lanes are, what is for us, what is not for us. And it should help us as Christians to be able to stay in our lanes. So we don't claim something for us that isn't for us and all of that. But the first one is the house of Israel. When we see that in the Bible, uh, it's a national house. It's talking about the nation of Israel. In Matthew 10, it's, uh, we hear Jesus say, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says it again in Matthew 15. I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when, when he says this, what were they told to preach? They were told to preach the kingdom. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've been with us any length of time. You know, I've broken down the distinction between Israel and then the church. We're not going to get into that this morning. But I am going to say that we're not called to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're called to preach the gospel. Brother Kelly touched on that this morning in the Sunday school lesson. But nonetheless, we're on this national house. First house we talk about is the house of Israel. Look at Acts chapter 2. I ask you to turn there, verse 36. The Bible says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he's making this, know, know this assuredly, he's speaking specifically to the nation of Jews. It's the family of Israel that at least in this context is being taken into consideration. We have the house of Israel. Go over to Acts chapter number seven and get verse number 42. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse 42, it is written in the book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? What are we talking about here? We're talking about a nation that didn't have what? A pure heart before God. Now, this nation had a form of worship. But their hearts were not worshiping God. Their hearts were worshiping idols. So we see this national scope in perspective. And guess what this nation had as rulers? Kings. We have, uh, we have Saul. We have David. We have Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Josiah. We've got some good and some bad. Uh, in, in Second Chronicles, for example, Asa. And Asa in the 30 and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, 
but to the physicians. The circumstance that Asa was under caused him to stop looking to God and start looking to physicians. Now, this isn't a verse to say don't go to the doctors. It's just to say, look, if a situation causes you to get your eyes off God, we're off base. So this house of Israel, if their house is to be in order, who should they be looking to and worshiping? God. Now, are we part of the house of Israel? We're not. But the principle I want to draw out is that nation looked to God. And when they looked to God, they did get blessed physically. You know what happens when a nation as a whole nationally, we can draw this principle out. You know what happens when they look to God? They're blessed spiritually. Not physically. We're not promised physical prosperity. But if our nation or any other nation would just bow their knee to God and worship God, we would have a spiritual blessing. That's a, that's a national principle. Uh, Josiah in Second Chronicles, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. It's easy for, for youngins to do that which is right in the sight of their parents because they physically see their parents there and they know that if they don't do what their parents do, they're going to get a physical consequence. Or at least they should. This idea of no consequences, I can live as I want, do as I want. That's not from God. That's not from the Bible. That's from secular humanism. It's infiltrated schools, churches, families, just going down the line. But ultimately, that child should be doing what's right because he wants to seek the Lord. It's in the sight of God, not just in the sight of parents. Young ones, don't be good for goodness sake. <laughs> You better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. He ain't coming to town. Guess who is watching? Jesus. He's always watching. And it's not once a year down a chimney. It's every day. What you do is in the sight of God. God is watching. And he walked in the ways of David, his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor the left. He, he was focused. That's a king that's going to do what's right in God's eyes. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We'll wrap up this first house. The house of Israel we're talking about. It's a national house. Let's grab one last principle before we wrap up this thought. In 1 Samuel chapter number 8. Look what the Bible says in verse number five. And he said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of thy people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. What was the root problem? They have rejected me. 
that nation rejected God. It didn't matter what king you gave them. It didn't matter who was judging. If they reject God, that's the root cause. God didn't want them, that nation, he did not want them to be ruled like all of the other nations. That was not his intention. That's the house of Israel. All right, next house we have, get 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The next house is called an earthly house. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We see in 2 Corinthians 5, an earthly house. Guess what this is? This house, it's not a national house. It's not Israel. It's a completely different and entirely polar opposite house. It's our own individual earthly body. That's our house. That's our house. 2 Peter, let's turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1. A lot of Bible this morning. Try to write it down if you can. If not, you can always go back, listen to it. But we want to get these houses understood so we know how our family fits in into each house when we get an understanding. So 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 13. Watch. Yay, I think it meets. As long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Our earthly house, we're not staying in it too long. <laughs> we're not going to have this earthly house, this tabernacle, our body. It's not, we're not going to spend a lot of time in it. In light of eternity, it's a, it's a, it's a flash of time. So let me ask you something. With that perspective, I'm not telling you not to exercise, not to comb your hair, not to brush your teeth, not to take a shower, not to care for your body, not to mal, I'm not telling you to malnourish yourself, none of that. We should take care of our body. God gave us our body. He wants us to be responsible with it, and we're responsible for it. We shouldn't do things that are going to harm our physical body. But with all of that said, and I do all that, I, at least I try to. I try to. But with all of that said, in light of eternity, should we put more time into things that are going to stir up our flesh or stir up our soul? When you look at marketing and advertising in today's world, you know what it is built upon? The premise of stirring up your fleshly carnal nature. Put this in your hair and your hair will look great. Put this on your skin and your skin will look great. Take this red pill and you'll feel great. Take this green pill and you'll feel better. 
I'm not saying don't take pills. Don't throw your pills out. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying what I am saying is in light of eternity, what do you got? 90 years to do that? 95 years? 100 years? The time we spend down here, we have to be able to get a perspective that our earthly house, yes, we are responsible for it. But in light of eternity, we should put more time on soul stirring eternity perspective things. First Corinthians chapter number six. Let's go there. First Corinthians chapter number six. Another familiar passage. You've heard this preached on before. You've read it quite a number of times. Look at verse number 19 in first Corinthians six. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That's your earthly house. That's your own individual body. Which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, obviously, these verses are speaking to saved people. And you probably realize, especially if you got saved labor in life, man, I did a lot of stuff to abuse my body that I shouldn't have done. I consumed things either with my mouth or my eyes or my ears that I shouldn't have. And as a result, I've got consequences because of those sins. We all do. Some more, some less, some greater, some lesser. But we all do, especially if you've got saved later in life. Well, this is to let you know, look, you've got a body now that, that your soul got saved. And now it's inside this body. That is your house. God wants you. You're responsible for your own individual house. Is the nation responsible for it? No. House of Israel isn't responsible for it. Is your family responsible for it? Well, if you're a child, okay, we can make that argument. Is the church responsible for it? You are responsible for your own earthly house. I am responsible for my earthly house. Personal responsibility is a biblical principle. We are not to rely on the national government to take care of our body. We are to take care of our body. It's called personal responsibility. We have our own house. Earthly house or temple, it's called in the Bible. And it's of, if you're saved, of the Holy Ghost. And even though we are saved, you know what Philippians 3 calls it? Our bodies, at least. Vile. We are talking about earlier. Uh, well, what? You know, we're going to get a glorious body and, you know, you know what it's going to look like. We don't really know. We know it's going to be glorious, but I know what it's not going to be. Vile. <laughs> we know it's not going to be vile anymore. And that's about all we need to know. So our flesh in our body never get our flesh, which is part of our body. It never gets saved. But someday if we're Christians, it's going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And all that preaching that we did through Galatians, we just finished up that whole book. 
what did we get out of it? I mean, one one key takeaway, at least we have to walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit. All right. So we have the house of Israel. That's house number one. That's not for us. That's a national thing. We can get some national perspective out of that and make some application. We have our earthly house. We looked at the second house. That's our own individual body. I'm not responsible for it. Okay, if your kids, your parents are responsible for it. But as you grow older, you have your own responsibility that the nation can't help you. Your family can't help you. And the church can't help you. You've got to take responsibility. But the third one we're going to look at is. Is your own house. That's the family. That's the father as a ruler. And people say, you see all of these, um, you see all these uh, t-shirts or you see these wall plaques, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I just wonder how much of that is serving the Lord because you see him in all of these, you know, you go to any one of these decorating stores or something or one of these country stores. It's almost like a feel good verse that even the secular world could use. But in your house, in your family, are you serving the Lord? Next time I go into somebody's house and I see that I want to, I want to take a bat with me. Because when they have American Idol playing, I want to take a bat and smash the TV. Well, you can't do that. That's my house. Well, it said this for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. I'm just trying to obey what you want us to obey. Now, of course, I can't do that. And I wouldn't do that. But the point I'm trying to make is if you're going to put up Joshua 24 in your house, that's your house. Ain't my house. If I put it in my house, that's my house. I better be able to live that verse. Well, okay, I get it. No one's ever going to be able to live it 100% like they should. That's why we're calling together to get some help from each other. But good night. You got all these shows on witchcraft that get pumped through televisions. You got all this American Idol and all this vile music videos of people dancing around half naked. And you, and you have a Joshua 24 t-shirt? Come on. What is that? That's somebody that got sold on an emotional feeling devoid of God's truth. Wouldn't it be great if you walked into one of the country stores and you just see a family just down on their knees crying and weeping? And you go by and you say, what's wrong with you guys? I just read Joshua 24. I was going to buy it. It's $25. And I realized we don't serve the Lord. Except you don't see that. Why? Nationally, we've moved away from God. Individually, we've moved away from God. And families, our families have moved away from God. Okay. First Timothy chapter three, let's park on your own house. That's your family. And that's, well, let's, let's read a few things here. 
Last thing on Joshua 24, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The mark of your spirituality as a family isn't whether or not you have a TV or not. It's not how many kids you have or don't have. It's not what church you go to or don't go to. It's do you serve the Lord? That's the whole point of the verse. First Timothy chapter three. Third house is our own family. That's what we're going to park on. Look what it says in verse one. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Not given to wine, no striker. Not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient. Not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house. That's our third house we're going to look at. Your own house. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man. Know not how to rule his own house. There it is again. The own house. That's that man's family. How shall he take care of the church of God? I'll preach the last verse, and then we'll go through the beginning of the verses. Do you see the distinction made in verse number five? You have your own house, and then you have a, a, a distinction made between ruling that and then caring for the church of God. They're two different things. And I have to point that out in today's day and age because people have blended the two houses together and they grab some verses from Acts that show that, well, the early church met in houses. They did, but it still was distinct from their own house. It wasn't their family. You know what we have all around the country? You know what we have all around the South? Good old family churches. What does that mean? You're against family? No, I'm for the family. I'm pro-family. I want more families. But this idea that, well, the family's really just running the church. It's not fitting any biblical model. And they have to be distinct. And they have to be separate. And a distinction is made here. Well, I could just meet at my house because they did in the book of Acts. Yes, you can. You can. Except other pastors and teachers? No. Have you purposely forsaken the assembly? Well, no, I'm just. You got to look at all the verses. You got to take them all in context. It doesn't matter what roof you meet under. What matters is, and what I'd like us to consider this morning, is there has to be a distinction between your own house and then the church of God. Individually, you're responsible for your body. Individually, you should assemble with other believers. Your family is your family is responsible for God with, with the father as the head of that home. He is responsible to God. But he should not forsake assembling with other believers. But the church isn't responsible for how that family rules his home. That man is. The church isn't responsible for how an individual lives their life. That individual is responsible before God. We're going to get to the church in a minute. But I want to draw out that distinction because we have a blurring of lines 
and we have people getting out of their lanes and getting into another lane and lanes blending and molding. And we got a big mess today. Own house. What's the Bible say? Husband of one wife. He doesn't have a lady friend on the side. He has one wife. He's sober. He's not drunk on strong drink. He's not drunk with himself. He's apt to teach, meaning that father, that mother is responsible to teach spiritual things to their children. Well, isn't that the church's job? Well, see, there's the blurring of lines again. Yes and no. Yes. I, if, if, when I take my family to church, I expect them to get fed spiritual nutrition. But not at the expense of taking away my responsibility to do it. I can't just teach the Bible. And then go home and not teach spiritual things to my children. I would be just as guilty. It's my responsibility as a father to sit my children around the table or my children out in the front yard and teach them spiritual things. Well, they'll just get it at church. No. Yes, they get it at church. You see how it's a no and a yes? You as a father, you as a mother, yes, your children will get spiritual truth here. But not at the expense of you relinquishing your house. <laughs> you have to take responsibility for your family. And all these things, God's looking for men that are all, they're already doing things that are recognized. Oh, that'd be a good leader. Why? Because he can preach good? No, because he's doing these things already with his family. We're responsible men. And women for our own families. No striker. That don't mean you punch the guy in the mouth. You're going around punching people. That means dad doesn't go on strike when things get rough. No strike. You see these signs are just striking. <laughs> we're not going to do it. We're not going to work. We're part of the union. I don't know whatever all that means, but it means they're not going to go to work. When things get tough, you... Dads especially, when things get tough in your family, it's not time to go on strike. It's time to level up and stay in there, hang in there. You can't have somebody leading part of leadership in a church where when things got tough in his family, the guy just went on strike. He's nowhere to be found. Where's dad? Well, he just took a, a long trip. Things got a little rough for him mentally. You got to stay in there. You got to be able to hang in there. Not greedy of filthy lucre. As a family man, is his job more important? Is his business more important? Is 10 or 20 hours of overtime more important because he gets more money? His money is idle. Each man is responsible for his family. That's his own house. His own house. He's not a brawler. He's not smacking his wife around. He's not smacking his kids around. He's not taking verses on chastisement to use them for child abuse. That's wicked. That's wrong. It's no wonder they make these fundy websites about 
uh, radical right-wing Christians. Because some of it's true. Dad takes a verse out of context and uses it to abuse his children. He's a brawler. He's not qualified to be a father, let alone a leader in a church. You don't smack people around. You don't abuse people. You're not a brawler. You're not looking for fights. Not covetous. This is a father that's got his eyes on God, not eyes on things. If things are more important to you than your family living for Christ, then get your eyes off those things and get your eyes on God. Just like a nation that wants to be blessed. Just like an individual wants to be blessed spiritually by God. Same thing with a family. Fathers, mothers, we want our families to be blessed by God. Get our eyes off of the things we're coveting and get our eyes on Jesus Christ. and He'll give us the desires of our heart. Children in subjection with all gravity. You know what that means? You know what gravity does? It pulls you down. It's a force that pulls you down to earth. Is dad just so out of touch that he can't relate to anybody? We used to say, take a chill pill. I don't know if they say that anymore. But that meant, hey, just calm down. It's not that big of a deal. Take a chill pill. Are you down to earth? Do you have some gravity or your feet? Fully settled. Are you approachable? That's the type of man that we want in leadership in a church. And God's making this comparison between we're looking for men like that. And it'll be evident because we'll see how they run their own house. How do they run their own house? Are their children scared to death to come around dad? They're so afraid to misbehave because dad's going to just completely go bonkers. That is not a father that is keeping their children in subjection with all gravity. That is a father who is keeping their children in subjection with all fear and anger. And that's out of line. There's chastisement biblically in the Bible. But there is not abuse anywhere found in the Bible. Unless you're my dad. And then, you know, he, he would go after you. When we heard the bell to dinging, we knew it was time to run. <laughs> if my dad was parenting today, I told my dad, I said, Dad, if you were parenting today, you'd be in jail. <laughs> you, they would lock you up. He'd come after us with the bell. But I'll tell you, I've never spent a day in jail. <laughs> You'd have us up every summer. We'd be out of the house by 5.30 in the morning. Every time I tell that story, Dad says, no, I never had him up that early. Maybe I'm exaggerating by 30 minutes, but I'm telling you, these fathers don't want to demand anything or command anything. They're, ra they're, raising, they're raising a sissified generation that, that just, you, it just says, I'm triggered. I can't handle it. That triggered us quite a bit. And I thank him for it. I thank him for it. 
when you keep your children in subjection with all gravity, of course, my dad was involved. He could get away with some things with us because he took us to Little League. He threw the ball around with us. He had us swing a ball bat. He took us down to the park. He was there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of important. Showing up. Showing up. So it's not forcing your children into compliance with, with, with some type of cult-like control compliance. Drink my Kool-Aid or else. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, we better move on. I think some of the children are getting alarmed. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Ephesians 6. Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6. Oh, boy, we better hurry up. Deuteronomy chapter number six, verse number six. The Bible says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Israel, as a nation back in the Old Testament, you know what they were told? Your house is your responsibility. <laughs> what do you think? The leaders of the nation came and did these things with all their kids? The preacher, the pastor, the leadership of the church, they're not coming to your house to do all those things with your kids. At your house. You handle it. Your responsibility, mother, your responsibility, father, to train those children in spiritual things. That's not an excuse to not come to church. That's an excuse to come to church because you get more out of it because you're in your lane. And you understand there's another lane and we all help each other, but we stay in our lane. I'll give you the Christmas in July message. December 25th, I don't come to your house and tear down your Christmas tree if you've got one. That's your house. <laughs> you put up what you want in it. And we're not going to put one up at the church house. The people don't come in and, and say, well, we're going to. There's houses. Each man, each woman, each family is responsible to do what they believe is spiritual and right before God. Me as a preacher, I have no right to cross my lane. Go into your house, open up your refrigerator, and if something's in there that I don't think should be in there, I just dump it down the drain. I have crossed the line. I have gotten out of my lane. That is not my place. It's not my responsibility. That is your house. And you come to my house, you open up the refrigerator, you better not touch my coconut water. <laughs> just telling you right now. That's my coconut water. I drank that. It's my house. <laughs> we need to stay in our lane. Okay. Guess I opened up a whole can of worms with the Christmas in July, but maybe we got a couple of weeks left. Maybe 
we'll go back there. But just trying to pull out the point that we do things as families that maybe other families don't do. But none of us should cross our lane and go into somebody's house and say, we're tearing that down. We're tearing that down. We're out of line. That's you as an individual. You got your own house. You take care of your house individually and your family. And it's not the preacher's job to go in and try to fix everything because he can't. He's got his own stuff to fix. Okay. Ephesians 6, chapter 4. Well, what's the preacher have to fix? Look, everybody's got something. But we should be asking, what do I got to fix? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Bible says, But let every man prove his own work. Oh, that's Gal uh, Galatians, sorry. My fault. Galatians, we need to be in Ephesians. Watch what it says. Verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not my house. It's your house. You bring up your children. Before we get to the fourth house, we got two more to go. The house of Israel was a national house. Ruled by. Let's say, okay, ruled by kings. But ultimately, God wanted the people, that nation, to serve who? Kings or him? Him. So the nation of Israel. Your individual body, that's called the earthly house. We all have one. Is the nation responsible? You are. Now you got your own house. Your father is the rule. But is he? If he's looking to Jesus Christ, who rules? The Lord. Nationally, individually, and family should be looking. Whoever God says, I'm going to relinquish, relinquish control to you. Dad, you're it. You're in charge. He's not doing that so that dad forgets God. He's doing that so that that father looks to God. And God is ultimately ruling in his heart. Okay. If we got all that so far, say amen. Amen? We got great. First Timothy chapter number three. Now we have the house of God. Let's see what the house of God is. First Timothy chapter number three. Very simple. First Timothy chapter three, verse number 15. But if I tarry long. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. There it is. Which is, he defines it, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. I don't care if it says church on the sign. I don't care if it has Baptist on the sign. I don't care what it has on the sign. And either should you. When you walk in there. In that church house, that building, is truth being preached? Or is it like some of these mega, multi-million mega preachers 
that tell you that you're an angel. Yeah, million views on YouTube. <laughs> it's just amazing the stupid stuff that pops up there that people watch and buy into. These are multi-million dollar church houses with preachers that are multi-millionaires. Does something not sit right with you when I say that? How does that line up with Jesus? Boy, double honor really got <laughs> magnified. If the average median income is 80000 how do you get double out of $1.5 a year or more? Doesn't matter what's on the sign. Doesn't matter. When you come into that assembly, is it of the living God and his truth being preached? That is what the house of God is. My family, even though we are part of the church, because we are saved and we are in the body of Christ. And even though your family might be saved and you're in the body of Christ, your family is not the church. You're part of the church, but your family isn't the pillar and ground of truth. My family is not the pillar of ground and truth. We have a church that is the head, that the head is Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Something might prevail against me. Something might prevail against you. But not the house of God. Not the house of God. That's the fourth church. Uh, that's the fourth house we're looking for. You know what it should be filled with? Men that behave themselves. Women that behave themselves. Children that behave themselves. Leaders that behave themselves. It's the church of God. Not the synagogue of Satan. And truth should be preached. Individuals should be able to come here and get truth. Yeah, but there's not a lot of frills. There's not a lot of bells. There's not a lot of whistles. Is truth being preached? Is truth being taught? That's what's going to be the pillar to hold us up. And a family should be able to come here and say, well, they don't have a lot of this and they don't have a lot of that. But that's okay because truth is being preached. Why do we need water slides, pretzels to clown, softball games, bounce houses, some guy doing backflips, some girl running around half naked? Of course you're going to attract all the college boys to come. That's not true. And we've gotten into this whole mess because preachers won't stand on truth. And they're so afraid they're going to lose a paycheck. They're so afraid somebody's going to vote them out. They're so afraid somebody else is going to get more YouTube likes than them. Who cares? It's the house of God. And because truth isn't being preached, the whole thing's a mess. You get one of these guys that comes in here with a pair of skinny jeans, and he's got holes in it. He's got a muscle cut half shirt on. He's got earrings. He's got his hair all moosed up. He'll sit down there and about poo and pee his pants if he hears preaching like this because they've got cis bag preachers that are afraid to stand up and preach the truth because they think something like this or any other person that preaches or teaches the Bible is some mean, angry, hateful man that has trouble with toxic masculinity. No, you have trouble with understanding that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And if you don't like that preacher, you're out of line.
get out of the pulpit, get a job at Chick-fil-A so you can get off on Sunday and come to a real church. Yeah, that's... Look, I'm sorry to go off like that, but that's just... That's just the frustration on where we're at right now in today's day and age. The house of God. It's not the synagogue of Satan. Hebrews 13, and we'll wrap up the house of God. And move on with the last one on a positive note. Hebrews 13, verse number 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Bible says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they must want, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. There's nothing worse than a preacher that's always giving you grief. I've been in churches like that before. And it's just good. You, you, you just want to say, oh, good grief. Can we have some joy? <laughs> can, we, can we have some fun? You know, what it's, you know what it says here? Joy is going to profit people. It's going to profit people. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. What's with these preachers that can't fellowship with anybody? They're so disattached. Well, I know the ministry's rough. Believe me, three years in, I feel like I'm in between rounds. I'm trying to catch my breath. There's always something going on. But praise God for the people that are here that are sweet and wanting to learn and trying to fellowship and, and allow the Lord to rule our hearts. These preachers have put up these walls. They can't get close to anybody, man. That's not right. That's not right. You got to do it with joy. How are you going to give an account to anybody to God if you don't spend time with them? <laughs> you got to spend time with people. You're not going to give an account to God if you didn't watch anybody. Train up a child in the way he should go when he is old. He will not depart from it. I don't think I'm going to get through it all. I don't think I'm going to get through it all. I can try. Everybody okay? You all right? If you're all right, say amen. All right. Okay. All right. Let's, let's go with this thought here. There has been a goal in modern Christianity where their motive has been to systematically break down the family. Their motive has been to remove children from their parents with a specific end goal and not teaching them truth. And as a result, we've ended up with VBS and Sunday school programs <coughs> that are devoid of truth. <clears throat> and all about playtime. Come and get your face painted. Come and we're going to... Uh, do all this stuff that has nothing at all to do with the Bible, but mom and dad will get 40 minutes of daycare for free. But the end goal has been to just remove children from their families so that the youth pastor who's 20 and, you know, he knows everything because he got some degree at some weekend cemetery, 
seminary. But like a dad that's in a, that's 35 or 40 or 45 is really going to buy that that guy is going to do anything of spiritual nature when they're running all these clown classes, basically. I will admit to you <laughs> that is a major problem. That's a major problem. I will admit that to you. And because of that, parents have gotten, because uh, I'm one of those parents, <laughs> they have gotten very standoffish to the fact of Sunday school, VBS, all these types of kids' programs. I'm one of those dads. I go to, I go into a church. <laughs> when I've been in church before, first thing I ask is, who's the youth pastor and when can I meet with him? I remember one time I asked the youth pastor, explain to me your position on Christian dating. Because once they get to a certain age, they basically rearrange these programs so that covertly they can get all the young kiddies to come and have their little covert dating thing going on. And mom and dad don't know. Say, so what are you talking about, preacher? If you don't know, just thank God. That kind of junk goes on all the time. Because of that, dads like myself and other dads have just been fed up. And we need to be careful that we don't jerk the wheel so hard that we end up on a ditch on the other side. If when we have Sunday school here, Brother Tom isn't going to come into the pulpit dressed in a clown outfit and have us all do stuff that has nothing to do with truth. He's going to teach us the Bible. If we have something for kids, our motive is not to divide the family. By the way, I there was this there was this uh, this one group. They've kind of since lost some steam because the leader of the group got caught in infidelity. But he was against Sunday school, so you know. It's, it's, but anyway, off that group launched some other things. And uh, long story short for sake of time, this documentary was put out called Divided, and it basically talked about all these issues. I watched that when it first came out, and it's a good documentary. It gets some good truth. But to throw out the baby with the bathwater, we need to be careful. Sister Caroline's teaching the kids downstairs. It's going to be Bible truth, and our motive is not to divide families. It's to give them more opportunities to learn the scripture. And we, when we have our corporate worship, we are not saying, families, you get your kids here and you get kids. We want everybody to be together. If you've been with us for a long time, what do I always say is the most important service that I'd love everybody to be here? I try to compel everybody to be here. That's the Lord's Supper. Because we stop everything. And we want the whole church family to gather together and participate in the Lord's Supper. Children, older folks, everybody alike. When we have corporate worship, our 11 a.m. service, when we have that, we want everybody to be here together. And it's just sweet. You know, you got kids sitting up in the in the front row. Sometimes kids will sit with the, you know, the, the senior saints. Sometimes a kid will be back here. Sometimes, you know, that, isn't that great? It's the family coming together to worship corporately. That's what we want to inculcate here. But if we have something, it's important to draw out so that when somebody asks you, you know how to answer. Preacher's not. That, that's not the goal of our church, to divide families. 
The goal of our church is to bring families tighter together, help them get in their lane so they can stay in their lane. And the preacher stays out of your lane. I come here, I preach truth. Mom, dads take it and mom and dad goes home and that's their house, that's their family and dad has to rule that home. It's not my job. And we are going to inculcate that with any additional programming, can't even say that word nowadays, for kids. Sunday school is going to be about learning the Bible, memorizing scripture, singing hymns. Yeah, they might have some fun with it and they might do age-appropriate activities. But it all has to point them to Jesus Christ. They're personally responsible for what they do. They need to go to mom and dad. Dad's the leader of your home. All of that is the church staying in their lane and not crossing lanes and getting out of line. So we want to give people more opportunities to fellowship around truth. People say, well, Sunday school isn't in the Bible. Midweek service isn't in the Bible. VBS isn't in the Bible. Sunday evening service isn't in the Bible. We're going to have, Lord willing, one of my goals was to have a Bible Institute. I mean, there's a school of the scriptures, I guess, but look, a lot of the stuff that we do isn't in the Bible, but it's biblical principles that are being taught. And anytime we can gather people together, get them to learn more truth, we can't do that at the expense of the church standing for the pillar and ground of truth. And as soon as we move away from that, that's when we get ourselves into deep water. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.